0: Gentlemen, we're rolling.
1: Excellent. Folks, uh, this is a different kind of a podcast because you will not be able to find this on YouTube. This is only going to be on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, those places, because our guest today, uh, according some, to some data, he is the most viewed interview done with Joe Rogan. If not, I think you're one of the highest, if not the highest, that you were on with Joe Rogan on Spotify. And uh, it was taken down when it was on YouTube. Most of your content can't be found on YouTube, only a few things that are left up there, and uh, he uh, got on Rogan. He's been on many different places. You've seen him. He's an American cardiologist. He was a vice chief of internal medicine at Baylor University Medical Center and a professor at Texas A&M University. Areas of specialty is coronary artery disease, chronic kidney disease, as a cardiovascular risk state, and high blood pressure, high cholesterol, hypertension, sports cardiology. And uh, he was practicing while this is happening. So it's not like somebody that's on TV that we listen to that doesn't actually sit with patients and they tell us how to deal with patients. He was actually sitting with patients and uh, made some comments that upset people. And a couple of things we need to know before we do this. I just want to give some data here so we all know about it. As of today, uh, we've had 79.4 million cases in U.S. That's the data that we get from the website. 964,000 people that have died, 87,000 in California, 86 in Texas, 71,000 in Florida, 67,000 in New York, 37,000 in Illinois. Yesterday, we had 1,559 people that died. That's on March 10th, and the seven-day average is 1,292. So it's not a topic of discussion too much on TV. You don't see it every day on TV right now. They're not talking about it. Most of the stuff being talked about today is Ukraine and uh, Russia. And the COVID kind of disappeared, and that's why we wanted to have a follow-up with Dr. Peter McCullough. Dr. Peter McCullough, thank you for being on the podcast. Well,
0: thanks for having me. I have to quickly correct credentials. I've had sequentially almost every uh, credential behind my name stripped away without due process, phone calls, or discussions. So I am not a professor of medicine at any uh, university, and I've been stripped of uh, positions. When did at, that happen? Uh, that's happened over the course of the
1: last two years. And it's, over the last two years? Uh, it's progressive. uh, Unbelievable to see that taking place. Right. So I
0: can have no credentials ascribed to my name outside of the fact that I'm an academic physician in Dallas, Texas. I practice internal medicine and cardiology. I finished with uh, a lot of patients yesterday. I'm at a big academic medical center. I spent half my time in clinical practice, half my time as an author, uh, as a reviewer, and a clinical scholar and everything that I'll mention today will be cited in a library of 165 slides that have been curated uh, and continuing medical education approved. Uh, This is built upon what I reviewed with Joe Rogan and many others across the world. So no opinions, no hyperbole,
1: and no claims, just the data. That's good to hear. So uh, let me ask you, are you surprised, because you know in uh, in law – If you do something that they're not happy with, they'll take your license away from you. Are you surprised that they haven't tried to take your license to practice as a doctor away from you? I practice at the highest quality of medicine possible.
0: I am fully board certified and recertified in internal medicine and cardiology. I am very clear on my interpretations of the data and my reductions to clinical practice, And if anybody wants to review my license, my answer is bring it on, because I want to review the information with them, and we'll ask which paper, which citation do they want to review first, because we have a lot to go over. Mm -hmm.
2: Dr. McCulloch, is it fair to say that you are controversial? No. You're not. Um, Other people would disagree. My question to you is... Were you controversial or did people look at you as being controversial prior to COVID? No, I've never been controversial. What
0: is getting people uncomfortable is the truth. And you mentioned that I'm effectively kryptonite to YouTube and Google and to any of these other social media. Why? Because
1: it's the truth and they melt away from it in fear. So today, what we will do, uh, you went in a direction where a lot of people feel kind of the way you feel uh, uh, out there because of what the media does to you. If they're taking it down, the average person sitting there saying, this guy must be giving misinformation. So we're going to go through some of the claims that people made against you, where one of these articles says, you know, Peter McCullough's most outrageous COVID-19 claims. And each one of them we can debunk. We'll go through the process. But before going here, I just want to ask an open-ended question from you. So it is now, today's what day? Today's the The 11th. Okay. Last year, no, two years ago, uh, March 12th, I'm in L.A. for a board meeting. I think it was March 11th or March 12th. And that was the day when NBA shut down, NHL mm-hmm. shut down, Universal Studios shut down, Disney shut down. Two years Tom, ago you wanna, today. Tom, your phone is making noise. All that stuff shut down. Uh, and, and it was like you turn on the TV. It's like, you know, and we're in Beverly Hills, Hilton, and my wife and I were about to have mm-hmm. a board meeting with the kids. And that's when Donovan Mitchell got COVID and he was upset at uh, Rudy, Rudy Gobert, Gobert and touching all, all the stuff. microphones. And every board member of mine canceled the meeting. Mm-hmm. They didn't even come, come to the meeting. From Connecticut, from Florida, nobody showed the up. The day that the NBA shut the, down. That was like me, the
2: canary in the coal mine. They, when the NBA shut down, yep, everything was basically. They,
1: call, <laughs> they called me, they said, This is real. We're shutting it down. We're not showing up. We're not having a board meeting. Mm. It's now been two years, okay? And. Throughout the two years, uh, you know, a lot's happened. Uh, we had a new president. The market went all the way down to, I don't know what the number was, 16, 17, 18,000. Came back up to 34, 35,000. Uh, we've had uh, stimulus after stimulus after stimulus that's been sent out. We've had travel that's been restricted. We've had TSA reports on the amount of people traveling on a daily basis go from 2.4, 2.5 million to 100, 200,000 a day, which is absolutely insane. Warren Buffett sold out his 10 or 11% shares in United, American, Delta, and he just said he thinks this system's going to be changing with travel. A company called Zoom went from being a company that we knew about to all of a sudden overnight, we're all Zooming. Mm -hmm. We're all on Zoom doing meetings. Everything changed overnight. Two years has passed. What have we learned in the last two years? Specifically to what we thought was true two years ago to the, uh, uh, you know, um, not controversies, to the contradictions that we had. Well, this is what this is, and this is what that is. Two years later, things have settled down. No one goes out worried about COVID. New York's even shutting down masks, and a lot of other people are shutting down masks. What have we learned the last two years? There's a lot more
0: COVID now than there was two years ago. Why were so people so afraid two years ago to not even get in the same room and have a sales meeting, but yet... Now, they're perfectly comfortable going into an 80,000-person stadium, per stadium and watching a pro football game. Why? Fear. Fear is an unbelievable human emotion. And the fear has always been much greater and out of proportion to the reality.
1: Okay. Okay. So I, I totally get that. Fear sharpens listening. When we're afraid, we're willing to listen because we don't know. We like knowledge. But what, what have we learned uh, uh, about the severity of COVID, maybe the lack of severity of COVID, maybe you know, on how to handle the next pandemic on you know, strategies? Like when you run a business, and I run multiple businesses, and you hire somebody doesn't work out, and you hire five people from the same way doesn't work out, and you say maybe our hiring process is the problem. Maybe the person doing the hiring is the problem. Maybe the way we start people is the problem. Maybe the benefits is the problem. Maybe the staffing agency we're using is the problem. But what have we learned as, you know, for us to prepare us for the next... Because my concern isn't COVID. My concern is the next pandemic. All I care about is us being ready for the next one. Because the R-naught score on this one wasn't that high. If the R-naught... I mean, the Delta was high. Uh, Omicron was the highest, I believe. And uh, COVID was the lowest. Delta was the second one. But the R-naught score wasn't as high as some of the other ones, and the death rate wasn't as high. But if something comes out with a high r naught score and it's deadly, we're going to be in trouble. So what do we learn from this pandemic to prepare for the next one?
0: Well, I'll say five quick points about um, the COVID-19 pandemic and the crisis. And uh, maybe some of these can be applied to the next one. Of course, each is going to be dependent on uh, what the next organism is, if there is one. You know, most of us have gone our whole lives. Everybody around the table here looks probably 40 years old or over. And you've gone 40 years you haven't been through this. And there may not be another one, but this is our five points we've learned. For COVID-19, it's spread through the air. It's an aerosol. It's not spread basically by contact. Very important. So we had uh, montages of people sterilizing pizza boxes. Uh, Sanjay Gupta, the CNN medical correspondent was teaching America how to sterilize their grocery packages. We had uh, films in Europe where they were spraying stadium seats and uh, spraying sidewalks. Still, I went through the airport last night at Miami. Every couple feet is a hand sanitizer thing. The airlines proudly announced that they were they sanitize things as if it's spread over the seats of a plane. So it, it became in people's minds that this was Ebola, and you just touch somebody and you get it, or it's, uh, uh, it's like a— Clostridium difficile. It's not. Very importantly on spread, we learned that it spread from a sick person to a susceptible person, and there's negligible asymptomatic spread. There was a false narrative put out early on, a conjecture, that 30 to 50 percent of the spread occurred between perfectly asymptomatic individuals. They could just walk into a room, look at each other, and transmit the virus to each other. That would have been the first virus in the history of the world that transmitted asymptomatically from person to person. That false narrative that was put out there was actually in the medical literature fueled all the fear about you having your sales meeting, fueled all the fear that we have to be on Zoom. So there's perfectly well people on Zoom every day. Those perfectly well people could have been meeting and traveling like they always do. It was only, only an issue when someone became sick. Did they, could they be Contagious. So the point number one is on spread. So we really missed the boat on spread. And because of that, we've had two years of uh, inappropriate, excessive, economically harmful fear. Number two, point number two, is that uh, uh, because it's not spread asymptomatically, all that testing of asymptomatic people is completely scientifically inappropriate, unsupportable. It's not approved by the FDA. The FDA has never said, oh, you can use this test to go ahead and check airline people flying on a plane or going uh, across the border or in schools. The World Health Organization in June said, don't do asymptomatic testing because there's no scientific support for it. And when it's done, it has a yield of a positive test of way less than 1%. Two recent studies have shown that, one from uh, the Olympics in Japan, and one from a large workplace in JAMA, both have shown that there's less than a 1% yield. And when it is positive, there's a high likelihood that it's a false positive. So asymptomatic testing is point number two, a complete waste of time. We have tested hundreds and hundreds of millions of people in the United States asymptomatically and completely wasted our time, completely against regulatory guidance and against the World Health Organization. Point number three. Point number three is when someone recovers from covid From the wild type through the Delta variant, the immunity was robust and complete and durable against a second variant infection like Delta, et cetera. So the idea is one had only one chance at having that would get immunity. Omicron broke through natural immunity. It was the first one to break through natural immunity, so it allowed a second infection. But still, even the natural immunity, uh, in a paper recently published from Qatar In the New England Journal of Medicine showed even the natural immunity from the legacy variants was about 60% protective against Omicron. But Omicron broke through natural immunity, clearly broke through vaccine immunity, and we had the highest curves uh, we've ever had with uh, Omicron. We've actually had more people simultaneously sick with Omicron than at any time through the pandemic, and we were about 70% fully vaccinated. So the immunity counts, and progressively, if one gets a second infection, it's far more milder than the first infection. So that's wonderful. The, the fourth point is that the virus and the infection has always been treatable. It's always been a treatable. It's a, not a death sentence. It's been treatable and treatable early. We've had a whole succession of drugs that we used in sequence, a combination, both appropriately prescribed um, uh, generic medications and now emergency use authorized medications we used in combination. So it's treatable. The treatment effect is estimated now and it's in the senate record that it's 95% effective meaning we can keep people out of the hospital and keep them from dying if we treat in the golden window is the first 3 days of uh, of illness point number 5 and final point the vaccines as presented as a major aspect of the entire world's response to the covid-19 pandemic the vaccines are not sufficiently effective and not sufficiently safe to handle the problem And many analyses suggest the mass vaccination program has made things worse. There's three analyses by Subramanian, Kempf, and Beattie. Notice I'll use the author's first name, so we have this down, that have all concluded the mass vaccination program worldwide has failed, in fact, has made things
1: worse. Okay, so before we get to that, that the vaccine has made things worse, because I do want to ask you the credibility behind that for the listener and the viewer. The one thing that was confusing to me was the following. When I got covid I went to the doctor, they tested, okay, you're positive. Great, what do I do? Yeah, I mean, just go home and quarantine for two weeks. What do I take? Take some zinc and vitamin C in this. I said, okay, is there anything? Is there antibiotics? Is there anything I can take? Is there anything I can do? Nope, just go home, you gotta go through it. So, you know, my son yesterday had his ear hurts. You go to the doctor last night, You go. let's just say you go to the doctor. They're going to give you eardrops. Here's what you do. You put eardrops. My dog, two weeks ago, his eye, he scratched his eye. We went to the do- doctor. They put the finger on his neck. You know what I'm talking about. And every day we would have to put these eye drops in them. Goes away, okay? Uh, you go to the doctor. You have an upset stomach. He says, hey, take this, okay? It was very confusing for you to go to the doctor after you got tested positive. And there's nothing that they're prescribing you to take anything. I'm like, I'm sitting there saying, I'm willing to test. I don't want to go through this. Is there anything I can take? Nope, we suggest you take nothing. You suggest I take nothing. That was very confusing to me on how uh, a doctor, a specialist you go to typically will tell you, if you're going through this, here's some options that we have. We can go through here, through here, through here. But here, as if doctors were just sitting there saying, yep, we give you the positive report, go home. Knowing what we know now, and not not from your analysis, because your analysis I'm aware of, you know, hydroxychloroquine and, you know, ivermectin and all those things that we're gonna, I got questions on that as well. But what's, what's the government's position or CDC's position today? If I go to the doctor and I test positive, what do they recommend me taking to help me heal faster?
0: Well, the recommendations today are certainly different probably than when you had it. The one thing you didn't mention is you didn't mention that you were offered or given access to be in research. Do you know so many of the government recommendations have said, listen, you know, we don't advise taking this drug except in a research protocol. And the one thing you didn't mention is, weren't you offered a research protocol? Weren't you given a 1-800 number to call? I bet you weren't. In fact, I had COVID-19, so did my wife. We weren't offered any research either. So it is a fraudulent claim by our government to say we don't advise that we use any of these medicines outside of research protocol without offering a research protocol. I mean, every single urgent care center in the United States should have a bevy of offerings, at least a 1-800 number so one can get into research. So as we sit here today, you as someone in your middle life, uh, the current approach, official U.S. approach, says that you can receive Paxilvoid, which is a uh, Pfizer offering. Mm -hmm. It's a combination of nelfin and ritonavir in randomized trials. It reduces the risk of hospitalization and death by over Paxilvoid. Paxilvoid. Can you pull that up real quick? Over 85%. Over 85% is tested in people in their 40s. Is that what they're prescribing today? That's what they're prescribing today, Paxilvoid. By, By the way, just
1: out of curiosity, Tyler, did you get COVID?
0: Yeah, I had COVID twice. I had it in August and then I had you uh, Omicron in December.
1: Have uh, you guys you guys all oh, Tom, you got it. Uh, I know you got it as well. I had it twice. Yes. Did yes. any one of you guys sure. get prescribed Paxlovid or no? no? Have you heard of Paxlovid? No. How recent is this by the way, doc? Uh you can pull it up. Paxlovid uh had market entry in 2022,
0: okay. so in, in January, February uh you could also be offered Molnupiravir. Uh, if you had severe symptoms, which is a Merck drug, you could be offered with severe symptoms. All the way since November, you could have been offered a monoclonal antibody. Offered by Lilly, which would have been bamilivimab, and then later on Regeneron, which would be carazifumab and indivimab and then later on by GSK. Uh, in May of 2021, we had the entry of uh, sotirivimab, and most recently, Lilly back on with betalivimab. So I can tell you there are a bevy of drugs. Here we are in the Miami metro area. Where's the billboards for these drugs? Where is the wayfinding to get these drugs? Where's the FAQ when you get sick with COVID of where you can get these drugs? I've made the claim from the very beginning. When I went on Tucker Carlson, he went nuts. This is about a year ago. I said, Tucker, the treatment is being obscured. The treatment is being held away and not offered and not popularized by Americans, yeah. I, think,
1: I think in a very intentional way. So the obvious question becomes why?
0: You know, I, I'm not making the calls, but that's a great call to ask for our public health officials. Why don't you ask your local health officials? Where's the billboards for the monoclonal antibodies? Mm-hmm. Which centers have... Mo-? There will be some seniors here. You've got a ton of seniors in Florida. They could get Omicron with some severe symptoms. It can happen. Where's the billboards to help your seniors get the monoclonal antibodies, get the Pfizer drug, get the Merck drug. And by the way, there's other drugs we use after those, including steroids, anti-inflammatories, blood thinners. We can use and do use all of these before the illness. I'm not making the calls, but the question, why is there no mention of treatment? When was the last time you turned on a TV station here in Florida where they had a doctor come on and review the treatments for COVID-19 in the morning? Let's say on a morning
1: news show. I bet you've never seen one you you know what's crazy is i've never seen a commercial on this and why wouldn't you though like why wouldn't you late night news have a commercial on any of these if it's something that's being prescribed and it's now approved by cdc why wouldn't you see a commercial maybe there is maybe i haven't seen i've just never seen a COVID 19 you know uh commercial for any kind of medicine well listen they're,
0: they're equally as approved as the vaccines have you ever seen a commercial for the
2: vaccines
1: I have not, but I've heard it from everybody telling me to take the vaccine. Have you Every ever, official, you're news. saying you don't need a commercial
2: when you have everyone no. I mean, just it, it went all, saying, Sean
1: Hannity said you got to take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Trump said you got to take the vaccine. You know, uh, oh, Biden, The vaccine eventually became something where people from both sides were saying, "Go take the vaccine." It, it, it didn't even. It wasn't even political.
2: Can I ask you a question? We're having a very, a very logical, you know, medical. Fact-based conversation. I just want to get a more of an emotional question to you. You sound kind of angry. Are you angry? Are you are you are you upset? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Or do you feel muzzled? Where are you at emotionally right now? I
0: feel charged, and I think that's the best thing. Charged, because I am charged with very clear points. There are emergency use authorized products for treating COVID nineteen. I'm surrounded by three intelligent middle-aged men who, uh, who, 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 uh, who (laughs) who (laughs) who appear to have no awareness over the emergency use authorized treatments. And it's not your fault. But you don't have any awareness because the media has had no review for you. The public health agencies have given you no points of interest. You can have a grandmother tomorrow who could get very sick with COVID-19 and you have no um, compass in order to find your way to the treatment. But you do know about a vaccine. And in fact, it has been recently released in the media. We've had over a billion dollars spent on vaccine advertising, over a billion.
3: To my estimation, we've had almost none on treatment. You bring up something really important. I'm going to give you two perspectives. I'm in Dallas with you, and um, my wife's a school teacher, and my kids are at a separate school. She doesn't teach us. And there's been a lot of emphasis in those schools. They're just trying to get it right. And I speak to the administrators and stuff. These people are not shrill far left. They're not way out here far right. But they are just trying to get it right. And what I have noticed is since last October— this is a group of people that have primary care physicians, a regular family doctor they see regularly that has a history, and Texas Health Presbyterian, you get the app, My Chart, so you can see yourself over time for PSA and other things. So these folks are uh, consumers of regular medicine with a good primary care physician. Since last September, when school started, There has been a great awareness among the physicians that say, hey, if you test positive, I want to talk to you quick, because those first 72 hours, very correct. He said, we can consider monoclonal for you, but it's in more limited supply, and i got to get you in line to get it. And I want to know, how quickly is your fever spiking? How quickly is this? And so they've also been using um, telemedicine. The other side of it, what you brought up is very interesting. We have a family member with Alzheimer's. And we have been offered several times, you know, clinical trial information about um, dementia and Alzheimer's drugs, as well as given a paper that says you really don't know which it is until you take a brain sample at an autopsy, correct? You really don't know which you really have, you know, dementia or something else. But we've been offered clinical trials for this family member literally three times in the last three years as we've been progressing on slope. So it's very interesting. No such Trials have I been hearing about, but I have people, heard people saying that the doctors now have a pretty harmonized view about the seventy-two hours of monoclonal. And I find this really interesting what you're saying. But there's no billboards uh, giving you anything. There's more billboards around Miami about STDs and other things and about where to get help than there is about what is a national and global pandemic.
1: Well, that, well that's very important in Miami. But but go ahead.
0: But monoclonals <laughs> was the most frequently. <clears throat> used word in the transcript of my Joe Rogan interview, because Joe Rogan got sick with COVID. He received what's called the McCullough Protocol. It's copyrighted in my name, a sequential multi-drug therapy for COVID-19, which it does lead off with monoclonals. And in my protocol, if we get monoclonals, we can skip the oral antivirals and we move into corticosteroids and, and other drugs, but he was able to get through it in a few days as opposed to develop a fulminant syndrome. So did Aaron Rodgers. He received the McCullough Protocol. It's so called did, the McCullough
2: it, Protocol. Name co- back it's you. It's copyrighted.
0: McCulloch Protocol is copyrighted in my
2: name by uh, a group of physicians who use it, uh, former president. What's in that protocol? What is There's like three things that you have to no, do? The, what is the, it?
0: The, the protocol starts up top. The most recent version is we start with uh, nasal and oral virucidal therapy. We can actually reduce the viral burden in the nose by using dilute palvidone iodine or hydrogen peroxide. There is a layer of what's called OTC, over-the-counter bundle, which is the nutraceuticals and supplements, and a, and a drug that has a, an antiviral effect called famotidine or Pepsi over-the-counter. And then monoclonal antibodies, you can get it for high-risk individuals, and if no monoclonal antibodies, then the oral antivirals. The featured oral antiviral now is Paxilvoid because it has the best efficacy data and best randomized trial data. And then we move into um, uh, the use of colchicine in the largest prospective randomized trial so far, has a uh, an effect in reducing hospitalization. The use of aspirin, inhaled budesonide, wonderful. 85% reductions in hospitalizations and ear visits with that alone. Oral prednisone when pulmonary symptoms set in. And then high-risk people, wheelchairs, bedridden, nursing homes, we use uh, injectable blood thinners, Lovenox, or oral blood thinners.
2: What was that? I'm not where sure where that came up, But with all due respect, what you're saying sounds pretty complicated. I mean, I'd have to Google half the words you just said. Now listen, Wouldn't you're Wouldn't it be fair to just say, take a shot and you're good? I'm not saying that that's what well, I'm advising, well, but, but, but what you're basically saying is like, take all, brrr, da, 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 Google all these words. Do you understand why people might say, well, I don't even know what the hell he just said for the layman. Well, for the
0: layman, yeah. The, it's not the layman's job to do self-prescription. The layman goes to a doctor and the doctor should be doing what I just outlined. Now, McCullough protocol is one protocol. Separately, in France, they developed a Didier Real, developed Didier another protocol, Vladimir Zlenko in Monroe, New York, Yet another protocol, similar concepts, Frontline Critical Care Consortium. There's four national telemedicine services, 15 regional services. People call in, and they get prescribed these drugs. Doctors who are on the ball are prescribing these drugs, saving lives. Doctors who tell patients, go home and wait till you get sick, until you come into the hospital
2: mm-hmm. when
0: it's too late, that's where the lives are lost.
2: What so percentage of doctors are, quote-unquote, on the ball, we in est- your
0: opinion? We estimate 500 doctors are on the ball out of a million.
2: What?! Well, in your defense, 05 percent of doctors are
0: on the ball. When it comes to treating COVID nineteen, that's our estimate. That's
3: I can shocking. tell you. I've looked, Adam, hang, I've on, looked, hang on a I've, second. In your defense, in your defense, um, uh, for a chapter of my life, I lived uh, several years in San Francisco, and I had, and I worked with other white collar professionals, and there was a couple of them that were uh, living HIV positive, and there were doctors there and that had reputations. Some of them were at um, University of San Francisco, some were at the the Research Hospital, some of them were at Stanford. And they were all working on the same thing called the HIV cocktail, and each individual was reacting different to it. And they were working with different sets of drugs. Some drugs had a terrible effect on your stomach lining. Uh, Crick's belly was, uh, I think I'm saying that correctly, the, um, a, a byproduct of the cocktail. So you had these doctors that were working feverishly with a lot of different drugs, and it wasn't an alphabet soup, and they were trying to do this, and that. none of them were threatened with their license. None of them were. And they were using, well, maybe this drug or this drug will work, and they weren't being told, oh, ivermectin's not for that. You shouldn't be doing that. They were never told. So there's a precedent in this country and around the world where doctors were looking and, re- and doing sensible research and trying to find combinations of medications that would help patients. And... This is goes back to HIV, but suddenly we get here, and I find this very ironic and very telling, where doctors are not allowed to be doing this and not allowed to be applying their expertise. Yet, when we go back to HIV, and you know what I'm talking about, everything from, you know, protease inhibitors and all the things that went that, and T-cell counts that you had to constantly take, it was okay to do the cocktail back then, and it was called the cocktail. And you were a good, noble physician that was out there trying to help and trying to find solutions for people. Now, oh, no, no, you're just, you're just not with the program. But
0: that's in the United States. Listen, you go just a few hours south of Texas and Central America or south, you here. They're passing out these cocktails in high-risk patients in baggies. This has been going on from the very beginning. So there's over 30 countries that officially recommend hydroxychloroquine in combinations with other drugs. Hydroxychloroquine is the most modestly effective of the drugs. And I've always said that none of these drugs are perfect. It's an imperfect world as we're learning how to treat the illness. Uh, Over 20 countries officially support ivermectin-based multidrug protocols. So the problem is what's wrong with America? Why can these other countries give their patients a chance? I've looked at the papers that report deaths with COVID-19. I'll tell you one characteristic of a death with COVID-19. Zero early treatment or very truncated and inadequate early treatment in every case
3: do you remember uh, Laotril and cancer in the late 80s or early you know, mid 80s Steve McQueen I'm going to Mexico to get Laotril because no doctor in the United States is allowed to give it to me remember and his cancer was caught late remember this so these situations are as old as the hills, but now we're dealing with this global pandemic, Th- and I think there's other things go- going on here that are very, very bothersome. But you know what I'm talking about? The LATRAL and cancer and Steve McQueen going to Mexico and all that? I think about this, 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 this gamble.
0: The gamble that I took was, and people in my circles took, is that we are gonna to try to help patients early. With a potentially fatal disease, that we understood, risk stratification—it's—it's it's not the same in you as it would be in your grandfather. It is a very different illness according to age and multiple risk factors. But in somebody who has an appreciable chance of dying with this illness, we took the gamble of doing something that was reasonable, putting drugs in a combination to try to reduce viral replication, to reduce inflammation or cytokine storm and thrombosis. Other doctors took a different view of doing nothing, doing nothing and let the illness take its course. What a gamble. What a gamble. And so if in the end it's determined that doctors like myself and my circle were completely wrong, none of the drugs worked, the monoclonal antibodies never worked, Pfizer drug never worked, the blood thinners never worked, then what can we be accused of? We did our best to try to save lives what about those doctors who did nothing what are they going to be accused of if i'm right they're going to be accused of failure to treat failure to treat is malpractice and if it comes all the way from the government levels down if the government was advising failure to treat which they were the official set of national institute's guidelines said in october do nothing October 2020, the, when I testified in the U.S. Senate in November, we reviewed the NIH guidance. They said specifically, do nothing and wait until you're so yeah, sick. just following guidelines, though. It's, no, not, it's not on them. But hang on. The, the NIH said specifically, do nothing until you're <clears> sick <throat> enough to go to the hospital no. and still do nothing, still do nothing in the hospital, until you get to the point where you need oxygen, A patient needs oxygen, then start remdesivir. That was the National Institutes of Health Guidelines. Now remdesivir is an intravenous antiviral where the randomized trials show more deaths with remdesivir than control or placebo. And remdesivir is officially recommended against use by the World Health Organization. So to this day, an average American who's developing severe fulminant COVID-19 will get no treatment at home, none, and they wait to go in the hospital. They go on oxygen, and then they get remdesivir in U.S. hospitals that the World Health
1: Organization officially recommends don't do this. So, uh, but, but that, uh, the doctor's following what they're being told to do, right? So failure to, you know, uh, 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 practice or failure to uh, uh, do the, the right thing for the patient, if they're being told to do nothing, they're not breaking any guidelines. Well,
0: they're, they're, they're being told, don't forget, guidelines can be viewed in two different ways. I'll tell you the way I view them. Guidelines are the base standard of care. They don't, they don't basically demarcate the boundaries of what I can do, but they're a base standard of care, base. So the guidelines give information about COVID, and they do say, you know, give oxygen if they need oxygen, It's a base level of care. And in the very first set of guidelines, in a particular page, as I recall, I think it's page eight of the guidelines, said, even though these are recommendations, it's the doctor who decides what happens to the patient. And one time I was called by a pharmacist. Well, the guidelines don't recommend use of ivermectin hydroxychloroquine. I said, look, I'm page eight. It says, in the end, I decide. So all these doctors that said, listen, I wasn't doing more than the guidelines, my answer is you weren't doing enough.
1: Got it. So, so Tom, when you, went to the, when you got COVID, okay, mm-hmm. and we were in uh, 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 Greenwich, we had the meeting, you didn't make it. Correct. and you went you were on zoom then all of a sudden your condition got worse you went to the doctor Mm -hmm. you ended up going to icu for seven or eight days whatever the day was you'll share with with us here right now what i'm curious about is did they give you any any medicine did they give you any anti what what did they prescribe to you before things got worse okay when i got um
3: my fever spiked in Uh, less than 72 hours so in 48 hours i went from zero to 104.5 and i was taking tylenol and it and regular aspirin and it was knocking it down to like 102 so there was something going on the body was turning it up so i knew there was going on i had telemedicine with my regular doctor um i'm with texas health presbyterian right there in dallas so down there at greenville my doctor again he says um I I I want to get you monoclonal, but I'm really really worried that you're that you're moving really fast. And it says you know, and so um, I subsequently was admitted at 72 hours. I was really short of breath. I couldn't finish sentences. Took a chest X-ray, and they said, wow, you know, the COVID pneumonia is is clear here. And uh, after 48 hours in the hospital, it took me down to ICU so they could give me velitri which has to be administered in ICU so you can monitor it. And um, my oxygen, my unassisted oxygen was like at 88, 85. And so uh, I was never intubated, but I was given the uh, the second level oxygen that uh, applies some um, air pressure with it. You know, not just the simple, um, and I, you're gonna help me on this, but you know what I'm talking about. There's the thin tube and there's the big tube. And then I was given, as you point out, the steroids, along with some other drugs to help balance the side effects of the steroids. How many days
1: after having COVID?
3: Uh, I I was in I was in ICU on day five.
1: Okay, from from
3: when I knew something was really really wrong, and then I was eight days in ICU, um, and the oxygen got better. They were able to turn down the percent of oxygen I needed, and he and he said we just we're gonna help you while you fight this. And so, but it was the velitri, which what was described to me, and you can correct me if I'm getting this wrong, because I'm not the physician. Hey, the velitri is going to help slow the virus's replication while it's going through its life cycle and your body is fighting it. And every day they were taking me through white blood cell counts and, and tr- doing their best to explain what was going on. And I found these physicians to be really balanced, but that's what happened. I, and then I came out of ICU and four days later, you know, um, I, you know, I, I went home and so that was it. Now I have, I don't have lupus. You can't tell, but I don't have lupus. But you can tell my BMI is good, and I'm a healthy person. I'm a non-smoker, so all of those check boxes I was in. It said the doctor told me he said you know I'm 99% certain you know you got this um, you got this delta variant, and Tom you're just one of this one percent. He said that the uh, this thing got a hold of you, and you had no of the comorbidities or anything. Out in front, and you're how, how, how old?
0: You? How old are you? Fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. If you would have called me with Delta around this time point, boom, I would have said, "Listen, hit every four hours, dilute, um, uh, um, Povidone Iodine, sniff it up in your nose, sniff it all the way back, and spit it out and gargle with." It. So you started immediately knocking down the viral replication. Okay. This is August
3: we, of, to, to give you a balance of what the doctor's knowledge base was. This is August of last year, 2021.
0: Okay, that would have been early, but we still had it in there. But clearly, by the fall, we did. Would have hit you hard with nutraceuticals and supplements. You would have been starting fomotidine, And then that day, you would have gotten 600 milligrams per kilogram of ivermectin. And because you were moving quickly, I would have given you 40 milligrams of prednisone, 0.6 milligrams of colchicine. You would have started inhaling budesonide because your oxygen levels were going down Quickly, you would have been on full dose aspirin three twenty five, and I would have put you on Lovenox injections. That would have been about five to six things at home that I would have done as a skilled doctor. No hospitalization for you.
2: Is that the McCulloch protocol? That's the McCulloch that You'd protocol. implement on him, and how would that have changed his situation?
0: No hospitalization. Is that have, effective? That effective, ninety five percent effective. He received everything late. In the end. This medication, Belitri, this is actually mm-hmm. to dilate the blood vessels. He needed blood
2: thinners. Now, who agrees with you saying, yep, yeah, he's absolutely right, McCulloch Protocol, that's exactly—and who's like, dude, this guy is out of his mind. That is definitely not the protocol. Wh- who do you think would be? The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons,
0: from the very beginning, used versions of the McCullough Protocol. The Frontline uh, Critical Care Network, flcc.net, from the very beginning— uh, they would agree with you. Yes, and in okay. fact, patients in America, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people have been treated with these multi-drug protocols. Other countries across the world would have used these protocols. If you were in Japan, you would have received a form of a protocol.
1: So then, so then the question becomes: Why didn't we hear? And I know you can't answer that because you say you got to go ask the question from X, Y, Z. But that's the question I think about: Why can't we? But it takes me to a different place. As a patient doctor relationship, patient-doctor relationship, do I have the ability to say, I don't care, I'll sign off something, give me ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, and I'll sign off that I'm releasing you of all the liability, it's all on me. Can I, as a patient, say that to the doctor or no? It's irrelevant, really. The, um,
0: the doctor has a duty to treat. Hmm? And, and you ask your doctor, Tom, you, what do you,
3: you, say, you, you ask your doctor. I'm, I'm answering you. I, I, it says, yes, he can. Is that correct? What he just said, yes, he can. And then you're elaborating. But yes, he can as a patient, right? Because you can you can say, you know, we have proxy for the uh, uh, family member so with I can't Alzheimer's. I can say that to the doctor. Yeah, we, we've said to the doctor, we'll sign off because there's a liability sheet and then there's He's a- He's shaking his
1: head, though.
0: No, no, it's not an issue of liability. Okay. It's an issue of duty to treat which is a fundamental principle. So your question to the doctor is, listen, I've got COVID-19. Are you gonna treat me for COVID-19? If the answer is no, I don't treat COVID-19, it's okay, refer me. There's a duty to refer. But it's not okay to say, I don't treat COVID-19, and I'm not gonna refer, and there's nothing for you. So let's not just okay. Say,
1: let's just say he refers to somebody that does treat COVID-19. I go to that doctor, and the doctor says, I suggest you not take ivermectin. I suggest you not touch hydroxychloroquine. I suggest you not take all this stuff. And I say, hey, doc, I know you don't. And I know what CDC is recommending. Here's what I want to do. I'm willing to release all the liability that you're going to have for you to prescribe me ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Because at this point of the game, the alternative sucks. And I don't want to wait for it. I'm willing to take the risk. Can you do that for me? It's not a liability shield for the doctor.
0: The doctor always incurs liability. The doctor has... We have malpractice liability. If something happened to you, the doctor prescribed hydroxychloroquine and you had a reaction, he's responsible anyway. There's no release of liability. It's impossible for you to release liability. Doctors incur everything, even with monoclonal antibodies. Well, that's good to know. But but getting back to your situation, it could have been far better managed early on. Mm -hmm. A giant mistake— was to not give the monoclonal antibodies. So as you came into the hospital, you were an outpatient in the ER. Give the monoclonal antibodies. As soon as they clicked you over to admission, I bet they told you you can't get monoclonal antibodies. These are artificial administrative barriers that are up there. And the monoclonal antibodies, the reason why Joe Rogan and I made such a big deal about it, these are safe, effective, miraculous drugs. Miraculous drugs, and they've been grossly underutilized. I can't tell you the scores of senior citizens in our country who've died and they haven't received monoclonal antibodies. It's a tragedy.
2: What are monoclonal antibodies exactly? They are specifically
0: high-tech drugs developed through Operation Warp Speed by our best companies in America and worldwide. And they actually bind the virus. They literally block the virus from ravaging the body. These are wonderful drugs. And when people have been down on the government, they say, oh, the government's done terrible on COVID-19. I disagree because it's mixed picture. The monoclonal antibodies are miraculous drugs. I've used them continuously now for over a year. The biggest problem is not being transparent on where the monoclonal antibodies are, not letting people have access to them. In fact, in mid-January, we got emails to my system saying, listen, we're out of ammo. And I went on Sean Hannity Radio. I said, Sean, listen, some people are going to get sick with Omicron. We're in the battle of the bulge, and we're out of ammo. How can the government drop the ball on the supply chain for monoclonal antibodies
1: yeah but, but but let me let me go back to the question again I, i'm thinking long term i want to learn to for us to be mentally and emotionally prepared for the next one when it happens because i want to know my rights and i want the listener to know their rights as a patient as a person who gets sick what a what 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 power do i have to tell my doctor what what do i have the power to tell the doctor to sit there and say hey doc here's what risk I'm willing to take. What what are my freedom? What are the choices I have as a patient?
0: You have all the privileges of shared decision-making, and it really depends on the relationship. When you're in a relationship with a doctor, and the doctor's saying, well, I'm not sure about this drug or that drug. Listen, I saw a ton of patients yesterday. Every single interaction is shared decision-making. You have that um, uh, right in that relationship. The rub of the grain is when the doctor doesn't, Feels supported, or in fact, feels negative pressures to not prescribe you something, but you want it. And that's what's happened with COVID 19. Doctors have wanted to use monoclonal antibodies, they've wanted to Mm -hmm. use Pfizer and Merck and hydroxychloroquine and prednisone, what have you, but they haven't felt, felt supported by our government agencies. Have you ever seen anybody come out? and say, listen, we fully support the doctors in doing everything they can to help our patients with COVID. Have we ever seen and heard a full-throated endorsement of early treatment for COVID-19? I gave a speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. That's the first thing that came out of my mouth. Where is it? Where is it? Where is the full-throated support for doctors to help patients with COVID-19? I don't hear it.
1: Yeah, So this take, but this takes me to, I want to know the privilege, I, uh, privileges I have. You're saying the relationship with the doctor, fine. But from the standpoint of me making a request for the doctor to give me something and me giving up my liability that I can't risk, uh, I cannot sue you, you're saying you cannot do that. Then it takes me to think, what are doctors who are afraid of prescribing or even making a decision to treat you, what are they afraid of? If you who some may call controversial, or you push the envelope, the words they use, and you say you're not, how come they haven't taken your license? So what are those doctors afraid of? Are they not going to get the sponsorship money to speak for ten grand from Pfizer? Is that what their concern is? What, they, what, what is their concern to walk on eggshells on what to do? What's you, their fears? You have to ask a doctor. Who what sound had- was that, brother? Was that us, or was that a computer made of sound? Okay, I heard it, but go ahead, keep going. You
0: have to ask a doctor
1: who's had scores
0: of COVID-19 patients in their practice, and that doctor hasn't treated a single one. He's let all of them get hospitalized and die. You have to ask that doctor what's in their mind. What's in their mind?
1: Of but it's course- not one of them. It's ninety five 98% of them, so they, there has to be something they they fear to not do. And you can't tell me 98%, none of them are free thinkers.
0: We have had public symposiums. We just had one in Kansas City. And Pierre Corey, myself, Jose Lopez, as doctors who treat patients early uh, in COVID-19, we innovated, we've published, I've gotten research grants, I've done everything the right way to treat COVID-19. I'm not making this stuff up, and I use every government product that's well-supported as well. And we went to Kansas City, and we put on this symposium, and we invited the faculty from the University of Kansas months ahead of time. Months ahead of time, they didn't show. Matter of fact, they produced a video, and the video said that they don't treat patients early, and they don't, and you, you know, they're academic physicians, and they don't think it's supportive. Who do they, they fear,
1: them. though? I want to know what what did they fear, and who did they fear? If they can't take your license away from you, what are you fearing and who are you fearing? Because as a lawyer, I get if you, you know, you have the fear of losing your license as a lawyer. How often do doctors lose their license to practice? Very rarely. Okay, that's what I'm, you know how a teacher like got tenure and teachers are never afraid because they never get fired? You know know what I'm saying, right? So if doctors are never getting fired, what are you scared of? What are you scared of to say, you know what, I'm going to test this because... I worry this guy's going to die. It's going to be on my hands for the rest of my life. Listen, I don't want you to die, bro. Listen, here's my recommendation. This is what I suggest. So what are you afraid of? I want to know what and who are you afraid of. Go ahead, Tom.
3: So um, when I was being treated, I asked about ivermectin. And they said, that is not one of the drug of choices here at Texas Health Presbyterian where I'm practicing. So that doctor is effectively an employee. Of Texas Health Presbyterian, and they worry about losing that employment. The doctors that I've seen, and I've looked at, you know, you look when you see the doctors that are fearlessly doing the things you're talking about, Doctor McCullough. I'm noticing that were a lot worried, full independent private practice. They built up a practice on their own. It was private, so they don't worry about getting fired by themselves. But so many doctors, with the way health insurance works in America, the insurance reimbursement have to be associated with a plan or have to be associated with a group. And once you're associated with a group, then you've got these drug of choice mandates that sometimes come from the health system itself, correct? So is it correct to say that some of these doctors may feel differently internally, but are marching to the orders of what is the drug of choice and what are we doing here at Texas Health Presbyterian here at Baylor, Scott and White? Aren't the doctors fearing that? Whereas the ones that are in pure private practice and have built up their own practice don't have to worry about that. Are those doctors fearful of treating diabetes? Are they is fearful a, of treating I mean, heart disease? Yes? I'm asking you as a physician. Yeah. Many doctors that are with a health plan or a system, aren't they scared of getting fired by that system versus the very few doctors that have been able to build up but, a pure private practice? This is
0: in the context of treating COVID. So why are they fearful of being fired in the context of treating COVID, but they're not fearful of being fired in the context of treating diabetes or another condition. That's the question on the table. Aren't they fearful
3: of what happened to you at Baylor, Scott & White?
0: What makes this so unique? So what happened to me at Baylor, Scott & White? So in March of 2020, COVID-19 is coming people are gonna be slaughtered by the virus. What do I do as a leading doctor in America, the most published person in my field in the world in history, and I have more academic firepower than anybody who can come to the table? What do I do? I redirect all of my efforts to COVID-19. Within a matter of days, I work with the FDA, and I get an investigation of the drug application going and approved, and I get an IND number. I start a protocol to try to best help protect our workers. I then innovated with doctors in Italy and then all over the world and came up with the very first treatment protocol of how to treat it. And the principles were based on the fact that, listen, we can't wait for large randomized trials. People are going to be slaughtered by the virus. We need drugs that show a signal of benefit, acceptable safety, put them into combination. No single drug can treat COVID-19 because there's viral replication, cytokine storm, and thrombosis. We need drugs in combination. I did that. I published it in one of the best medical journals. It became the most frequently downloaded and utilized paper in all of COVID-19. I did better than that. I updated it a few months later, and I published it in Reviews in Cardiovascular Medicine in a special issue. That whole year went by. I treated all my high-risk patients. Did I treat everyone? No. But I treated all my high-risk patients using my best judgment to try to save lives. What happened to me? I came up towards the end of January. I got walked into a room by two administrators, and they said, we're not going to renew your contract for next year. So you sound pretty
2: charged. Now, my
0: contract... Mm -hmm says that if I don't lose my license, commit an act of moral turpitude or lose my, lose my medical staff privileges, then the contract says a renewal term and a failure renew requires a two-thirds board vote Reco- so, records re- basically uh, um, basically requires the president to sign off on that. so the problem was here there was no due process and I asked where's the two-thirds board vote We didn't do it. I said, why are we not renewing my contract? No
2: reason, no reason. So who's your beef with? What's the bottom line? Who's your beef with? Is it Fauci, is it the NIH, is it the WHO? Is it the schools that basically told you that you couldn't uh, be a part of it anymore? Is it big tech? I mean, I wanna get to the heart of the matter here. We're doing all these, uh, using all these words that I'm gonna have to Google for the rest of my life. What's the damn bottom line? Who are you mad at? Who fucked up? You tell me. I wanna know. You look mad. I am mad because, like, the world has been shut down. You know, we're having these conversations that's like, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Google this, go to this, monoclonal, blah, blah, I want to know the bottom line here. And I think a lot of our viewers are like, all right, I agree with you. What can be done? What should be done? What could have been done differently? Did Fauci fuck up? What percentage did he fuck up? Should he have been fired years ago? What's the bottom line? You know what I'm saying? Like, we can we can do all this Talk in circles, all that, talk about Tom's situation, but like, I just want bottom line and from information. I feel like for two years we've just been running in circles. We got the doctor here who knows more than anybody. I'm looking for a bottom line already. What do you want? Truth.
0: But specifically, what do you Forget want? Forget about
2: what I want. What does the world want to know? What do you think the world should know? What do you think the world wants to know? How did this start? What should have been done? Did Fauci do the, a good or bad job? Mm. And why are you being muzzled? Those questions. Okay. We've been focusing on treatment.
0: Is it agreed that the virus and the infection should be treated in high-risk patients? Yes.
3: Say the question again, please.
2: Is it agreed, agreed
0: that the virus... And the infection should be treated in high-risk patients. Is there any resistance to that? Elderly people,
3: immune compromised, very, very heavy people who are smokers under 40, that whole group,
0: yes. Okay, so don't you want information, rapidly available information, to patients and to doctors and to health systems to treat patients? Don't you want those doctors and health systems to treat patients early to prevent hospitalization and death? Yes. Okay, then where have you been? Where have you been?
2: Me? Yes. Where have I been? Yes. What the hell does it matter where have I've been? Because it matters. Because community. it
0: matters. If you haven't spoken up, if you haven't stepped out, if you haven't done a lick of
2: anything, then you're as complicit as everybody else. Where have you been? I think that's a horrible, unfair charge, Dr. McCulloch, because what am I supposed to do? I'm living my life. I'm 39 years old. This thing just happens out of nowhere. And you want me to, quote unquote, step up? What the hell do I know? What the hell do any of us know? Doesn't matter what you know. It matters what you want. How would I know what I want? Or how would anyone know what they want when they've never even heard of COVID? And, and the world and people are telling you, hey, you know, shut down for two weeks, shut down for two months. I'm supposed to step up. The average person is supposed to step up. This is where, the, this is where we trust the science. This is where we trust the medical field. This is where we trust people on stage with the mics. So for the average person to, quote-unquote, step up, I feel like is a little inappropriate. Listen,
0: you're not an average person. You're sitting with two cans on your ear, and a lot of people are listening to you. You're not an average person. You just told me you wanted to be treated. And I'm asking you, what have you done? Do you see the problem? The media is as complicit as the biomedical pharmaceutical complex. You're not demanding treatment. And because you're not demanding treatment, and the average person is not demanding treatment— What's happening is people are not being treated by the virus. People are coming to me and saying, Dr. McCullough, Mm -hmm. save America. You're the one who published these protocols. You're the one to do this. Do even more. And what I'm Mm -hmm. telling you, if we don't have 330 million people screaming for treatment, whether it's this virus or the next one. I
1: think they were, though. No, I think they were, though. I I think they were. Show me. Show me. uh, I, I think, well, okay, fine. Let's go through it, and I'll process this like a lawyer, and I'm not even a lawyer. Um, I think uh, 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 number one uh, a lot of people we had Malone on Dr. Malone on and when we had Dr. Malone on it was I think it was the next day after he was on uh, uh, Rogan and it just so happened we didn't even know each other's calendar but he apparently was doing a tour he was on Rogan one day the next day he was with us Right? you're
2: familiar with Dr. Robert Malone
1: yeah and he was taken down immediately we had Judy Mikovits on at the Mm -hmm. peak I'm talking two years ago I'm talking we had her on in April of 2020 we had Judy Mikovits on First day gets couple million views. Boom, the video is taken down. We had uh, RFK on, coming and debate uh, uh, Dershowitz on the topic of vaccine mandates a year and a half ago, two years ago. I'm not even talking about it in the last three months. Year and a half ago, in the thick of things, they came and they debated, and that video is still on uh, on the internet till today. It's a couple million views. We brought a lot of people on, but uh, the, the challenge becomes the the ability for. Uh, uh, yesterday, Trump was on this uh, podcast, Full Send, Nelk Boys, mm-hmm. right? And uh, the video, Trump says, don't worry, this thing's not going to stay on for too long. And next thing you know, less than 24 hours, gets five, six million views, and it's taken down. And, uh, you know, you he gets on Hannity to say this thing was taken out, but I told him it's going to be taken out because Dana White wanted him to do this podcast. So censorship, you know, what, what I learned from the outside, here's what I've learned as the non-expert. I learned that... Uh, Uh, that uh, uh, the most powerful organization here when it comes down to handling pandemic for me to be able to seek the truth is the one that's putting the muzzle on the average uh, uh, day-to-day person that eventually says, I'm not going to post anything. Why do we not have your video today on YouTube? Why is this not being posted on YouTube? Why is this only being posted on Spotify and Apple and Stitch and all the other? Why why not? Because we know the folks at Google are not going to let this thing stay for another 24 hours. It'll be taken down. We'll get a strike. Then we can't do any podcasts, and we're shutting down for doing podcasts for a week. And then we may get a second strike. Then we're shutting down for three months. Then we don't have a product to produce. So... The 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 policies by these major uh, social networks, virtual governments, played a very big role where a lot of average people, like Adam is talking about, felt they were muzzled. So that, I realize, they have the power. Number two, I don't think a person uh, needs to have as much power as they did to control and intimidate the average day-to-day person to dictate what kids should wear in school as a mask or take a vaccine like a Fauci does. I think giving too much power to one person it's very scary when it comes down to something like this. A president, I get it, there's got to be a shot caller, someone's got to make the decision because we have Congress, Senate, we have a, a system, judicial system, legislative. we have a system that works. You know, Even a Joe Manchin, his vote mattered so much that the left was upset. Our system, for the most part, works. It's a decent system that we have. But Fauci had a little too much of a monopoly and everybody had to look at him as the main. At first, if you think about when the pandemic first got started, it wasn't just Fauci, it was a group of people that we heard. It was Burks. It was him. It was a mm-hmm. handful of other people. It wasn't just Fauci, Fauci, Fauci. Gradually, he one by one by one, got rid of everybody else, whether he did or n- another way of getting away from it. And all of a sudden, he's the guy. He's the voice. You know, he's the one that we have to listen to. And the hypocrisy started coming out. So the average day person sitting there saying, Newsom is saying, you got to wear a mask. And the next day he's at French Laundry, not wearing a mask. Mayor Grossa is saying, you got to wear a mask. And then he's seen at a game not wearing a mask. And he says, oh, I don't breathe when I'm taking pictures with people. So the more and more things like that happen, people started realizing maybe these guys are just full of shit. And then you sit there and you wonder, what is, uh, what is uh, really going on behind closed doors? Yeah, I was watching uh, Kennedy's documentary yesterday. I've interviewed a lot of guys on Kennedy, whether it's his, one of the Secret Service agents, you know, Bolden, uh, who was the first African-American Secret Service agent, whether it's Jim Jenkins, who was one of the four guys that held his brain uh, uh, 30 minutes after he died. And uh, Oliver Stone does his documentary on John F. Kennedy, and you're sitting there, 1963, what's today? 2022, how many years is that? 60 years, nearly 59 years later, and we have an idea what went on. But for 75 years, we can really do investigation to dig into the numbers and the charge. And even his own doctor, who had been his own doctor for years, when interviewed in 1967 at the library, was asked, Hey, do you still agree with the three shots that was... Uh, you know, taking and what people are saying with the Warren report. And he says, uh, I'd have no interest in commenting on that. What do you mean you have no interest in commenting on that? We kind of have an idea what happened with John F. Kennedy's assassination. Are we not going to find that till 2000 and whatever the year is that Pfizer put on a thing that we cannot investigate this? So the average person sitting there saying, honestly, you guys are so cocky. Doctors are very cocky. I know a lot of competitive people. I'm in a pretty competitive environment. Football players are cocky. Competitive. Everybody thinks they're better basketball. I got to tell you, the the doctor world. Oh my gosh, you guys are cocky. Holy moly, everybody is so competitive. So what happens when you guys are so competitive? The doctor world that I'm around and I talk to experts like yourself. Everybody is so damn worried about being right, and God forbid if you're wrong once, that you stick to your ego of what is right, what is your right. Rather than shit, you may have been wrong once. And these doctors are afraid to freaking debate each other because you're a doctor. You have to keep this facade of how smart you are. Not saying you, I'm talking about as most of those doctors. So who gets the hit? The average day to day person. We the can't bo- figure the it bottom
0: out. line is listen, I'm not afraid. Yeah. It's obvious many people are. It's obvious that many people never spoke up. It's really obvious the media is afraid. The media is a big problem. A huge problem. Now, who in the media wouldn't be interested in an update on how to treat COVID 19? People in the media, thousands of local TV stations, why wouldn't they be interested in giving an update? Let's have a doctor on and let's go over what you should do when you get COVID. Have you ever seen that, even once? Think about the oblivion. It didn't come into the producers' minds once to go over an action plan when senior citizens get COVID? Not once. Think about that. That is profound. That is profound. It didn't come up once in a single press briefing for two years with the White House Task Force 1, White House Task Force 2, President 1, President 2, Vice President 1, Vice President 2, CNN, Fox, CNBC, MSBC, not once to have a review on what we should do today when we get treatment for COVID-19. Not once.
2: What would happen if you wait, had a wait, debate wait, wait, with Wait, 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 uh, wait but I don't, I don't
1: know about that. You mean never came up once? I don't know if I agree with that because I've watched, uh, 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 even you, you were on Tucker. I've watched Tucker bring doctors on who recommended what to do and what's, what to prescribe. And I've seen it even with Gupta making his own recommendation, but it's the recommendations that what the CD I've seen a lot of that. Uh, uh, Look, I have one concern. Here's the only concern I have. Very simple for me. My entire outcome of sitting down with you today, and we appreciate you for coming out. My only outcome is preventative for the next one. That's all I care about. I don't like to be manipulated. I've never liked it. I don't like to be bullied. I've never liked it. I don't like to be played games with. I've never liked it. And all those three things happened in the last two years. Those three things create an emotion in me that's not healthy. I don't like it. I want to know what my options are as a parent, as a father, as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, as a content creator, as an American. What are my options? And I want to know we have the right leaders in place that when the next thing happens because of all this crisis that's going on in the world right now, Ukraine, Russia, Putin's a big personality, Xi's a big personality, Iran's got their own thing that they're dealing with. Somebody gets upset and they create many ways to want to hurt our lives through bio or through cyber. I want to know we're prepared. And I want to know how, what controls do I have as an individual when I deal with a doctor, when I deal with the people that are, that's their duty to do what they're doing on the That's That's my biggest concern I have now.
0: I tell you, I totally disagree with you. We have not seen anything on early treatment. The minimum standards as a citizen and a doctor that I would expect is monthly updates. We've had nearly a million people die of this illness. We've had tens of millions of hospitalizations. Not enough not nearly enough. Monthly updates, full review, action plan, billboards up in every city, how you get treatment. Every single medical group emails, outpatient treatment centers, people get sick with COVID, they should walk in and they should be treated. Not even close. You're not even on first base. You haven't even gotten out of the dugout. I am telling you, the next one that comes, we better have a completely different plan. We better have our marquee medical institution step up. I told Tucker Carlson, I said, you know, there's no Mayo Clinic protocol to treat COVID-19. There's no Harvard protocol. There's no Duke protocol. They haven't done a single thing. They haven't attempted to treat a single patient to prevent hospitalization. Even when they get in the hospital, they don't have any unique, innovative, advanced protocols. It is a complete and total failure. I completely disagree with this. And one of the reasons why this has happened is the media has been complicit in this. The the media has had an oblivion to early treatment and the people haven't demanded it. The people have been slaughtered by this virus.
1: I think people have demanded it. I think people wanna know. When you lose, people don't, (laughs) when you lose a husband, a wife, a kid, a mom, a dad, there's no way those people are silent, just sitting on the sidelines saying, well, I just lost my mom. Cool. Okay, I got to go to work. No, that's not how life works. I I don't know about that. I I don't know if I'm willing to put 964,000 people who lost somebody to say they're not demanding it. I think the muzzle is what's really uh, hurting a lot of people. I think mainstream media, I agree, has got a big responsibility because they're not willing to Uh, uh, they're just following whatever the big you know. even if you look at some of the numbers on how much they're advertising on their channels or whatever it is, the dollar amount, Merck, Pfizer, all these guys, billions on top of billions So your viewpoint
0: is people have been screaming for early treatment to prevent hospitalization and death and they have been completely and effectively muzzled to the point where there's not even a a, a segment in a TV show. I agree. Complete muzzle. Mm -hmm. Now your question is Who's doing the muzzling and why? That's well, your
1: question. Well, we know who's doing the muzzling and why. We, we know Big who's tech is the, the reason we're why. not on YouTube today, Well, right? Well, no. Big, big tech is responsible for somebody is telling big tech on what philosophies to control and not to control. So it's big tech is not – you know how you're doing the whole mm-hmm. – uh, the, the, Greg Kading's trying to figure out who killed Tupac or Big and You're trying to figure mm-hmm. out who's the guy at the top, not the guy here. Big tech is number two, but the person at the top is a – Way of thinking is a protective. Who's that
2: person or who's that ideologist? This
1: this has been going on for a while. You know the whole thing with Oswald, who Oswald was uh, the person that killed Kennedy, and oh, he's the guy that killed Kennedy, and uh, he was never part of the CIA. Do you know for four years, 12 CIA agents were following Oswald? Do you know a week before Oswald did what he did, he got a, the SCI got a full-on report on this guy? Do you know that same year in 1963, there was two other attempts on assassination on, on uh, Kennedy? One, one of them was in Chicago, I think, November 2nd or November 3rd, and another one was in Tampa. And the guy that was in Chicago, uh, him and Oswald are both ex-Marines. They both were at the base in Japan. They both had a certain training for the CIA. And they were both in a similar exact-looking building on the sixth floor when that was supposed to be taking place. And somebody whispered to them saying, hey, you may not want to go on that 27-mile, whatever, barricade, the, the car he was going to go through so the city was going to see him. There's people of higher power that want to use every crisis to move their agenda, and I'm certain that happens. All I'm saying is that's nothing new. The people of power have been trying to do that for a while. I think there's got to be a different strategy on how to hold these types of people accountable. I, I, we haven't even started doing any kind of investigation to see what China's responsibility was on this. It's like, oh, it's gone. Great. Right. You know, I, we don't even know who did this. Who started this? No, no, let's just go and look at Ukraine. It's like, listen, no, no, we got to run the credit to see what happened here to learn. We're not doing enough digging to find mm-hmm. out whether you're right or Fauci's right. We're not doing enough of that. We're not doing enough debates. We're not doing enough discourse. The world would love to see Fauci come with four people on his camp, you come with four people on your camp, and you guys face off in a three-hour debate. January 24th,
0: we had five hours of U.S. Senate testimony in the Kennedy caucus room in the Senate building. We had over a dozen treating doctors with thousands of peer-reviewed publications to their name. Many thousands of treatment experience— We had preclinical sciences, vaccine developers. We had patients. We had attorneys. We invited all of those individuals, every single one of them, to get a second opinion on COVID-19 pandemic response, and none of them showed. I can tell you the problem is they don't have the courage to show. I can tell you the problem with big tech, they don't have the courage to face me. They don't. And you feel crushed by them. I don't. I have what what I have what they don't have. I have the truth, and it's a kryptonite to them. It's absolute kryptonite to them. You're right. People have been screaming for help for two years, and it's not new. It's not old. It's not like this happens all the time. We don't have a million people slaughtered by a virus all the time. You're wrong about that. The bottom line is this is brand new, and this has been something very disturbing that we've seen. We've seen a complicit uh, a nature in the media, which has been total. You think at least a broadcaster here and there. Let me give you an example. We do have some courageous people in the media. Listen to this. Laura Ingram on Ingram Angle, two days ago, reviewed a dossier, part of a release by Pfizer on the vaccine, with Joe Ladapo, your Surgeon General here in Florida. Laura Ingram brought up a report that indicated that Pfizer knew within ninety days of release. Pfizer knew about. 1,223 deaths that happened after taking their vaccine over 90 days. 1,291 unique new diseases caused by the Pfizer vaccine. Do you know that the CEO of Pfizer was just on CNBC an hour ago? No discussion of any of those data. They were asking him about a fourth booster. It's as if CNBC and Fox are in two different worlds, two different worlds. What's going on is not usual. It's very unusual. It's not like you can go back and start, uh, you know, giving a montage of history and saying, oh, I know this. Something is in the minds of people right now. There is a disturbia. You care about early treatment, but you've kind of never really got on stage to do it. You, you you are saying that YouTube and Big Tech is squelching you, but you're not strong enough to do really do anything about it. You're doing the best you can. I'm telling you, what matters here is the truth. And the truth, hot pursuit of it, and continue, continuous and relentless presentation of the truth is far stronger than any suppression of Big Tech. And that's the reason why... I have been extraordinarily successful in doctors in my circles. The average person does know about hydroxychloroquine. The average person knows about ivermectin. The average person now knows about monoclonal antibodies and other drugs in sequence combination. Things could have been way worse if I wasn't here.
1: Right, Uh, okay, so that goes again back to, uh, uh, and and by the way, here's the other question for you. Um, We wake up one morning, no one's talking about COVID anymore. I mean, it just seems like it happened the last six weeks, four weeks. Ukraine, Russia shows up, boom, COVID disappears. Are we going to get people talking about COVID again, or is it gradually going to kind of disappear and no one's going to talk about it?
0: You know, those are decisions made by uh, producers. Um, I can tell you that I see the scenes from Ukraine. I've never been there, but it looks like a pretty reasonable place. Kiev looks pretty similar to a lot of European cities I've been to. I see people scrambling over. I see the Russian soldiers. I don't see an ounce of concern regarding COVID-19 in those people's eyes. Exactly. Right? They're running for their lives right now. What's happened with COVID is the fear greatly outpaced the reality. And you know who was really right about this? was right after my seminal publication that we can treat COVID-19 came the Great Barrington Declaration. And the Great Barrington from Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford, Martin Koldoff from Harvard, and Sunitja Gupta from Oxford said, we don't have to overblow this thing. All we need to do is protect the elderly who are at risk for COVID-19, and everybody go about their business as they are. They were right and everybody who went beyond the Great Barrington Declaration turns out to be grossly, grossly wrong. And that is the entire media complex and the entire pandemic response out of Washington.
1: Let, let, let me ask you, Tom, this is a question for both you and the, the doc. What, what, can, uh, what can our uh, uh, politicians, Congress, Senate do to say, look, we want a panel full day from people on both sides and different doctors and experts that we bring in to debate and the world to watch to see what really happened where you're held to the fire for, you know as well as Fauci's held you know and bring people from both sides to talk about what really happened here because we got to learn to move on which politician or leader has the authority to push for that to happen. Well, both Congress and Senate have
3: the ability to put together hearings because like uh, what came out of Facebook, remember, not only were they talking about the control of the advertising market, yeah. which is a federal trade commission, yeah. is there a monopoly here hurting businesses? Mm-hmm. But then there was also the subcommittee on, are we really harming youth? Are people committing suicide because they are, um, their depression is accelerated by their their addiction and the impact of social media? And those hearings come out. It, it takes uh, a senator, a congressman, a McG- guts to call and then compel uh they can call hearings all the time they do open hearings all the time and people decide not to show up their corporate counsel and their peer is there a way
1: to do a hearing that you have to show up
3: yeah it's federal yeah they issue subpoenas and usually it has
1: what do you need what control do you need for that to happen
3: you you usually you usually need an incident that is that is sort of you know criminal or ultra high impact so that you can
1: This qualifies co- for that yeah. An incident of two years that cost a million people's right, lives. Right. And, but,
3: I, but I think what's, what's also been going on here, and I, that's what's needed. you need somebody with guts? You know what I'm asking? Yeah.
1: You need a couple senators with guts that to pull. Rand Paul, Cruz, Rubio, ex-Trey Gowdy. I mean, all I'm saying is uh, it, this isn't something that is a left or right thing. We just want to know. I want to know what the hell happened. How are we going to be ready for the next one? So, In my so-
3: opinion, we need a Warren Commission on the COVID pandemic. The Warren Commission you know, looked they can at many.
1: that one as well, though. Well, no, 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 no,
3: no, no. But the point is about the Warren Commission, it wasn't a one-day thing. It was sequential. We're going to look at this. We're going to look yeah. at this. Now, yes, they got it wrong, and we can talk all about LBJ and yeah. J. Edgar Hoover and all everything yeah. there. But the purpose of the Warren Commission was to have sequential set of hearings, everything from doctors to autopsy to people that understand the, the forensics and the...
1: Who can start that? Who can start that?
3: Senator
0: Johnson had the very first hearing he had was on corticosteroids. He had Pierre Corey as the lead witness. The very second one he had was on early treatment one. I was the lead. Third one, early treatment two, Pierre Corey back in the lead, multiple experts. Fourth one, we have 12 people in January We're, we're five Senate hearings into this. I'm telling you, the other side won't show, and I love the idea of subpoenas. They won't
1: show to face the truth. What I'm saying is why don't we, cre- why, why, if we, if the, People in Senate have the authority to make it that you have to show up. You go ahead and do something to get people to show up. We, we Fauci need, ha- let, let me ask you this yeah, question. You're right. If, if, you're at, absolutely right. if at midterms – if midterms is a bloodbath that everybody's predicting it to be, if midterms is a bloodbath and they, they control House and Senate, does that give them the authority to be able to push for this kind of a hearing or no? Absolutely. Okay, so this midterm is going to be very important for people that want to know – what really happened, we kind of need to make a push on this one. Because if, if they win, is the Speaker of the House going to be McCarthy? Uh, who's who's going to be the Speaker of the House? They're saying he's going to be the one, right? Kevin that, McCarthy? Yeah. Yeah, that, That's kind of like the leading name that keeps popping up, right? Correct. And he's, he doesn't seem like he's a pushover. He seems like he's going to want to push for something like this. He's not a liked guy there. That's right. correct. They could put up yeah. hearings
3: and say, hey, we're going to have a series of hearings on COVID. First we have the, orig- the origin hearing, then we have the public safety hearing, and then we're going to have the pharmaceutical hearing. And what you, you have to get some people in there, Pat, that have not been lobbied or received donations from big pharma, because that's going to impact, you understand, like if I'm a senator and I've got a lot of pharma behind me,
1: I'm not going to be the guy that's going
3: to force yeah, but the it, hearing.
1: Is there a number, if it's 51%, who cares if you did or not? What no, I'm saying
3: is the, the one that comes forward has to be one that is not beholden is McCarthy, to anybody.
1: It's McCarthy. Can you pull up who uh, McCarthy's uh, funders are? Like who funded his campaign? Just Because who was the one that uh, uh, Tucker crawled out that, that he took money away from Google? Who who was it, uh, Jim Jordan? Yeah, I think that was Jim Jordan. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the, that's exactly okay. what you need. So, so can you make that bigger so we can see it? The uh, contributors, that's who. Who is that? Charles and on Capital. Okay, that seems like a, a hedge fund company. Oil, okay, auto co part, I don't see any uh top industries go down, retired, Republicans are real estate oh, Okay, so there is no farmers. okay, good. This is good. So the fact that this guy is not funded by them, go ahead. But what Tom's saying is the the, the people that come in and speak have to not be beholden because they can't. Oh, who just cares do, though? But but, well, but they
2: can do what Comey did or what Brennan
0: did. I don't and say care, I don't recall. I don't oh, know. But I don't, I don't care. Have the Here's the point
1: though. I don't care. Because when Comey spoke and the other guy, Peter, what was his name? Uh You know, the guy with the last name that he was the FBI guy that he had the mean look. Yeah. uh, What was the guy's name? I know you're talking about Anyway, so the fact that they have to go there is what I care about. Because I care about. Peter Strzok. Yeah, Peter Strzok. I I care about the fact that people Mm -hmm. are going to be held. You can lie all you want. I just want to see you do it.
0: Listen, people have. anybody in this space, I have way more than that with various uh, clinical trial obligations, what have you. Uh, People. Um, who are doing anything in the space of research in biomedical are gonna have ties to a variety of funding sources. The, the pharmaceutical companies fund about two-thirds of research, the government funds about a third. Every, every person out there runs a two-third, one-third blend. It's just a reality. The bottom line is you want the truth. You are frustrated. I can see the tension in you. You are frustrated that you have a sense that this has always been treatable, that the treatment has been suppressed. It's been suppressed at every level, big tech, down to our government agencies, down to our healthcare systems. You were a victim of that suppression since your health system did not have an outpatient protocol, a multi-drug protocol that they used from the very beginning. And the suppression of early treatment, it's my interpretation, is occurring for a reason. The suppression of early treatment, the reason appears to me is to basically create fear, suffering, hospitalization, and death. And the hospitalization happened to you, but fortunately you didn't die, in order to prepare you to accept mass vaccination. And the mass vaccination is not a one-time event. It is something that's going to go in your body every three or six months indefinitely. The two appear to be linked. A year ago, roughly, I went on a Tucker Carlson long program, and I told Tucker, I said, it appears to be clear. Those who are actively working the hardest to suppress early treatment are the same people who are working overtime to to promote the vaccines. The two are linked. Do you know that the American Medical Association has a stated objective in September to abolish the use of ivermectin? To abolish Mm. the use of ivermectin. Now, ivermectin is supported by over 70 studies, over 33 randomized trials. It has, it's not a perfect drug, but it has about a 50% benefit to patients who take it, reducing the intensity and duration of symptoms. It's supported by 20 countries that feature ivermectin as its base of a treatment protocol. Over, you know, three dozen non governmental organizations, including multiple American organizations, support the use of ivermectin. Why would the AMA have a stake in this? Why would they even care about ivermectin? Why would anybody even care? If it's a safe, innocuous drug, why don't they have a campaign against Benadryl? Why don't they have a campaign against uh, 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 prednisone? Why ivermectin? And why does the AMA wildly support mass vaccination? Why does the American College of Physicians, why does the American College of Pediatrics, uh, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, why do they wildly support mass vaccination and none of those organizations support treatment at all
2: is that why ivermectin was labeled a horse dewormer used by veterinarians that would seem to be the, w- the common theme
0: why would the nih and the fda come out with misinformation that's misinformation that it's only a horse dewormer why would our director of the national mm-hmm. allergy and immunology branch say there's quote no evidence for ivermectin i just yeah. rattled off 70 studies 33 randomized trials you mm-hmm. can't say something incorrect These public health officials, they work for us. The employment relationship is they work for us, not vice versa. I can't have an employee that reports to me give wrong information in public. We've had public officials who work for us state that there's no evidence for ivermectin. That is malfeasance. That is wrongdoing by people in positions of authority. We can't have our employees Mm -hmm. mislead America.
2: And Rogan called out Sanjay Gupta to his face. Uh, On this exact point, right? We we
0: can't have the media mislead the, the public. So Sanjay Gupta, is somebody in the media, he can't mislead the public. I'm a doctor in a position of authority. I can't mislead the public either. I have an obligation to describe risks and benefits. By the way, any entity or any person who said get vaccinated has broken the law. We have laws that say that for any biological product... It must be presented in fair balance. There must be risks and benefits. No one can bark a command getting get vaccinated. are saying
2: they've broken the law they've by encouraging the law. vaccines?
0: They've broken the law by presenting the vaccines without risks and benefits. Mm-hmm. They cannot do that. You know that because you see any other commercial for any other product on TV, it says what the benefits are, then it says warning. Side
2: effects may include...
0: It. <laughs> right. But how, may
3: cause loss of head.
0: But, but how can... The vaccines be presented yep. with no fair balance of risks and benefits. It's breaking the law from the highest position. Our president of the United States has broken the law. You cannot present information on biological products without risks and benefits. Well, who will hold them well, accountable, though?
3: Look, we, we know what's Again, going on. Who do
0: they work for? They work for us. We're holding them
3: accountable. Right, to Pat's point about hearings, there's something that comes out that this is gonna have to come out and this is part of healthcare reform in, in the United States. We know that there's one simple truth. Sick people are very profitable, healthy people are not. We know that old drugs with expired patents, not expired um, efficacy, but expired patents, acetaminophen, everybody can make them cheaply because there's no longer patent protection. New drugs are, re- are crazy profitable Older drugs, less so. We understand that's just, that's the way it works. And pharma in this country, you can go back and you look at uh, a movie that Pat Both and I uh, watched because we loved Matthew McConaughey's work, The Texas Buyers Club. Now that's- Dallas a ho- Buyers Club, yep. yep that The Dallas Buyers Club. That was a Hollywood interpretation of a true story of an individual who became HIV positive and started being an independent consumer getting as much research as he could which is what you were encouraging. And then he started going to Mexico to get certain drugs and put them together because he was reading that around the world techniques and simple cocktails, early cocktails, were giving these people with HIV positive a fighting chance so that their HIV didn't go to ARC. Or they cross over to what really would kill them back in those days. Help me out with pronouncing it. Carpsis sarcoma.
0: Yeah, Kaposi sarcoma.
3: Carposy sarcoma. Thank Sorry. you. Jesus, but,
0: biz, doc. you're just and, butchering
3: the whole word, man. But... At the time, the people that stopped the Dallas Buyers Club Mm -hmm. was pharmaceuticals went to the FBI. That is a true story, and went to get this guy stopped, and then they also helped border agents stop him. So, pharma standing in the way of things in our healthcare system has been going on for fifty years in a very very big way. But you, this is his hearings. I think would expose a lot of these things and uh, the origin side. I mean but, but I, this is so unique to I'm covid. On that page. But covid is unique compared to all these
0: other things. If I have two patients in the ICU, you with covid and the next person uh, an afghan refugee with another condition. And I want to use ivermectin in the afghan refugee because I'm supposed to, actually government protocol say I'm supposed to because it decontaminates them from parasitic infections, but I want to use ivermectin in you based on 33 randomized trials and a lot lot of good beneficial data in COVID. I can't use ivermectin in the COVID patient according to
3: the hospital, but I can use it in the Afghan refugee. So you just made the point that I made, and I'm I'm not attacking you, but you just made the point I made a half hour ago where if I work for a health system I am tied to my supervisors and what they put on paper as these are our drug of choice and these are our accepted protocols. But if I'm a physician in private practice, this is another thing that's part of our health in, you know, healthcare industry in the US. As a private physician, I don't have to make that choice. I can help the Afghan refugee that maybe was brought in by a missionary to my office. Or I can help the person that walked in. As a private physician, I'm not tied to that because it's not illegal to prescribe ivermectin. Yes or no? Yes.
0: It's only in COVID, though. So if I have the Afghan refugee, and then I have a third patient over here who's got something else, I can still use
3: ivermectin. Uh,
0: you see what I mean? I can use ivermectin for anything I want to. As except, a private, as a private a, doctor. Except if for, I work COVID.
3: for a health If I work for a health system, they say, you will be fired if you don't. If you it, are not, if you are getting outside of what our drug of choice, because they have but a clinical only committee. for
0: COVID. Only for COVID. What I'm saying is. No, for anything. No, no, no. Only for COVID. Now, if a doctor within a health system wants to use ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine for anything other than COVID, they're free to do so. There, there's not a single person that would come up to me. Uh, Let's take hydroxychloroquine. That's a
3: very uh, diverse drug. I don't know if that's correct. There are cancer protocols that are more experimental, and people are told, hey, this is what we're using for uterine cancer. This is the drug of choice. This is the protocol we have. And if you're going to be here, this is what you do. If you want to be a researcher, go to a research hospital and get a research position and do experimentals. Listen, I take care of patients every day.
0: I am telling you, I can walk into any hospital in America And I can prescribe hydroxychloroquine for a range of conditions, on-label and off-label. There is no question. There's no problems. But the minute I do it for COVID, then I've crossed the line. And the same thing is true for ivermectin.
3: Okay, and who's drawing that line in your opinion? Who's drawing that line you've crossed on what you you prescribed ivermectin for COVID? I've crossed the line. Who drew the line in in your example, specifically?
0: in, In the example, it will start with medical executive committee in the, uh, the pharmacy uh, formulary
3: decisions. So at the health system you're employed by, right. correct? Right. Okay. But only for COVID. Okay. And who's above them that they're following? Who's above them?
0: That would be the health system and who's above them. They uh, almost certainly receive
3: federal money. So they have FAQs that are coming down for COVID relief funds. See, now we've started the hearing. Now we've started the hearing Pat's talking about. You see? Okay. And who's, who's pushing them?
0: Just keep going. There is a willpower. There is a force that wants to stop treatment of patients with COVID. And it is resulting in massive loss of life and hospitalization. It's clear. These drugs are harmless. There, there is, a, is an oblivion to monoclonal antibodies. There's an oblivion to the Pfizer drug. You guys didn't even know about this stuff. It should be up on billboards all over the place. It's across all treatment, EUA and IV. People have just taken hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin as the lightning rods. I had ABC News come in Dallas a couple weeks ago, and they wanted to do a, 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 basically a hit job on ivermectin. I said, fine, I'll talk to them. Not afraid. Sat down. I said, listen, the first year of the pandemic was hydroxychloroquine based protocols. That's fine. Second year was ivermectin based protocols. We're in the third year, Pfizer based protocols. That's fine. Don't have a problem with it. Don't need ivermectin anymore. Do you know there's, uh, in South Africa, Dr. Chetty and Dr. Barrientos in South America, those two drugs got so, quote, controversial, generic safe drugs becoming controversial, should never happen. They said, forget it. We'll treat COVID without these drugs. And they do fine. So there are protocols. As long as we use enough drugs, we can take an edge off the virus and prevent hospitalization and death. But the will, there is a will and a desire to block all treatment, to never mention any treatment. And the media is complicit in this will. If the media wasn't complicit, we'd have occasional reviews. We're never getting them.
2: And ultimately, is this all just one big case of follow the money? There is an overwhelming
0: desire to get a needle in every arm. It is so clear. You hear vaccine, Morning, noon, and night. I've never said the word vaccine so many times in my life. People can't. <laughs> is that even... because
2: there's no money in natural immunity? There's money in vaccines. There's money in getting a Pfizer shot and a Moderna shot. J and J. Is that the, is it, Ultimately, is this a money play?
0: Listen, it's the same with Sinovac and CoronaVac. It's the same with the dead virus vaccine in China. They got people on their knees in Indonesia. If they don't take Sinovac, they can't get a government check. There is a desire to get a shot in everybody on a regular basis. And it doesn't even matter if there's money or not involved. It doesn't even matter what type of shot it is. But it's in the minds of people that the only thing that can be done by COVID is to take a shot.
1: So check this out. I want you to do me a favor. So you just pulled up the story. The Pfizer vaccine has only uh, 1,291 side effects, right? This came out a week ago. So do me a favor and go back, go back, uh, go back. And I want you to type this in the... Make it bigger so everybody in the audience can see it. Make it bigger. Just keep zooming in a little bit more. Okay. Type in the following. Pfizer vaccine. Pfizer vaccine 1291 with a comma. Put a, put a comma right... Yep, yeah, 291. Side effects. Okay. Side effects. And then click search. Now go to news. Oh, you're on DuckDuckGo. No, I no. Go to Google. Go. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, 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 no. Take that. Take that. Just to control. Copy, paste. Yeah, just go there and copy-paste. Take that and copy-paste and go to Google. Go to Google and type in control. There you go. Click on that. So now, top story is what? Go a little closer. CHG says
2: Pfizer and FDA. Which is by who, though? By Yahoo
1: Finance. Now click and watch what happens. What do you see at the top? Russia. No, no. No, no. Uh, A war in Ukraine. No, no, no. The page you're looking for isn't here. So now go back. Go back. Go back and go to the ABC story. Click on that right there. All right. That is an ABC organization. Go up. Is it ABC? Uh, 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 it is not an, it's an ABC.net. That's not an ABC. I don't know if it's the same organization or not. Do you see an ABC.net or ABC.com? All the way at the top.
3: It's, dot, it's Australia.net.
1: So it's Australia. Australia. Okay, so Australia. So George Christensen says elites have suddenly started hiding vaccinated death statistics. Here's why that's wrong. Okay, let's see it. Keep going up to read it. Now, let's see what their argument's going to be. And we got... Uh, uh, the doc here. Corona checks. fact check. Okay. Uh, Corona check uh, number 103. In this week's newsletter, we can check in a congressional federal bench uh, Facebook to suggest incorrectly that the government was hiding COVID. We also check in his parliamentary colleague, Craig Kelly and G- uh, uh, Gerard Rennick, who has shared some misleading information about a document from vaccine manufacturer Pfizer. No, the government hasn't suddenly started hiding death statistics data okay go up a little bit let's see what they say outspoken nationals mp and vaccine skeptic we regency oncology conceal. okay in facebook can you get to the point the post per futures a a uh, chart taken from a website uh, showing the number of COVID-19 deaths and vaccination status. The chart ends on January twenty second, 2022, after a three-week rise in death amongst the double vaccinated people. And just like that, they stopped telling us the VAX status of COVID deaths, reads a caption added to the image, but there has been no change to the way COVID-19 death statistics are being reported. In fact, NSW, which currently accounts for 36% of Australia's COVID-19 deaths, was the only state to ever consistently report deaths by vaccination. <clears throat> okay, go a little lower. And So then, in other words, reporting deaths, whether they were vaccinated or not. Right. So now go back to the other article that you have, Uh the 1291, the one on the DuckDuckGo that you showed us. No, not this one. The one you showed me, the one you had up. Which one did you have up? Was this the one? Okay. The FDA was forced by a judge to release clinical data on COVID vaccines back in January in a 55,000-page document that were just so released. The FDA has originally wanted to hide the data of 75 years and release it to 2096 because of the course of course, the FDA is basically engaged in a criminal conspiracy to COVID-19 vaccines. COVID vaccines should never have been approved. This was obvious from the very beginning when animal trials were skipped and the Trump administration. Ill-fated Operation War Speed, and now it's uh, undeniably true. We have the clinical data, and it's horrific. Hiding out in one appendix. Okay, go down. List 1, 1,291 side effects here. Enjoy. And it goes through all of them? Yeah,
3: so this is,
0: this is the actual document here. It's pages and pages and pages
2: of side effects.
0: It just keeps going. This is the first release of a few dozen pages of 400,000 pages that Pfizer had. Pfizer knew within 90 days, 90 days, that there were uh, 1,223 deaths. I'm telling you, it is an obligation of a pharmaceutical company. And there was very few people vaccinated back then. Their obligation of a pharmaceutical company, they typically get to 50 deaths, they just pull a drug off the market. They say, listen, this is going to be awful. And if they're not, usually the FDA tells them, listen, this is not looking good. Five deaths gets a black box warning, 50 deaths is off the market. Pfizer had on their books 1,223 deaths, and they didn't say a word.
1: Uh, I don't know if this is true or not, and I don't know what's behind this. I just want a hearing. That's all I'm saying, man. I want, I want a hearing. I want people to be up there and put folks like yourself and others to debate, hash it out, investigate. Let's put a, uh, a hearing behind it and see what comes out of it. That's what I'm interested in. The, story.
0: The, the truth here is not of question.
1: These are, these are basically court order documents. So you
0: know this is true. You know this is true. Pfizer knew about 1,223 deaths. You know this is true because it's a court order document, and Pfizer provided it.
1: Let's, let's have them be held accountable to it publicly and answer for it. Mm -hmm. Let's put the CEO there. And by the way, have you taken a vaccine? Have you taken any of the vaccines? I've taken every vaccine in the vaccine schedule
0: that's safe and effective that I'm supposed to take. But I have not taken one of the investigational vaccines because I already had COVID. And in me, the risks of the vaccine far outweigh any benefits. And I haven't taken the vaccine because I don't want to lose my life.
1: You haven't taken the vaccine.
0: I haven't taken a COVID vaccine because I don't want to lose my life. Is that good enough? Yeah. Yeah.
1: You have the choice to take it. You have or not the choice. Yeah.
0: And about a third of the people in the world haven't taken one of these vaccines and they have a similar desire. They don't want to lose their lives. We had truckers shut down Ottawa because they don't want to take one of these vaccines and lose their life. We've had people protesting all over the world because they don't want to lose their life with a vaccine. Isn't that a fair concern?
1: Now, what do you say if somebody says, well, COVID, 964,000 people died? Twelve hundred and what was the number you said that died from the vaccine? Twelve ninety one. Twelve ninety one. Twelve ninety one within ninety days. You guys. No, no, that's twelve ninety one. Is how many uh, side effects? Gotcha. It's a different number. The twelve twenty three is within ninety days. Twelve twenty three within ninety days. So somebody may say, "Well, twelve twenty three compared to nine sixty four, I'm willing to take the risk to take the vaccine." What would you say to that? Listen, that's
0: twelve twenty three. Within 90 days. You know how many people are vaccinated in, in 90 days? Maybe maybe 30 million. We're up to, our CDC is telling us that they have in their vaccine adverse event reporting yeah. system 24,000 deaths. They have 24,000 deaths, which occur within a couple of days of taking the needle. People walk in. 24,000. 24,000. There's a paper by Pantazatos and Solomon using... US census data and vaccine administration data, the estimate could be as high as 187,000 Americans have walked in and voluntarily taken the vaccine and lost their lives. Now let me tell you, it's not a one for one. Oh, I'll lose my life with a shot or I'll get COVID and lose my life. There's an analysis by Kostoff and colleagues that said, "Listen, if you're 65 years old and you've got a choice, you're better off forgetting the vaccine and taking your chances because you may not get COVID." And if you get COVID, you may have a mild case. And even if you have a more severe case, you can get treatment. And if you get treatment, you can be spared hospitalization and death. So when you actually do the calculation, Mm -hmm. it's far more risky to take a vaccine and lose your life than forego the vaccine. So in me, I am telling you, I've done the analysis. I'm more likely to die with the vaccine than ever with another version of COVID. So I'm not going to make a choice That's gonna risk my life. That's the reason why people are protesting. That's the Mm -hmm. reason why people want this shut down. That's the reason why people are walking off the job. People are giving up their careers because of this, because they don't wanna lose their life with the vaccine. People are losing an entire military career. There's doctors walking off the job, nurses walking off the job. I took the meningococcal vaccine. My kids have taken the meningococcal vaccine. I've taken hepatitis B. I take all the vaccines that are safe and effective. I would never walk off the job because of the hepatitis Mm -hmm. B vaccine but I'm gonna walk off the job for the COVID-19 vaccine because patients are dying
1: of the vaccine. That's I, the I, problem. I don't know, it, pure speculation and opinion, so there's no facts behind this, that's just an opinion. I don't know if most people who are not taking a vaccine are not taking it because they don't wanna die. I think most people who are not taking it just don't wanna to be told what to do. I think majority of people is more about, dude, don't tell me what to do with my body. I don't think it's about, if I take it, I'm gonna die. I know a lot of people that are pretty influential people in my circle who have not taken a shot for one reason. Don't tell me what to do to my body. Don't tell me what I got to do to my body. Now, Some people are probably not wanting to take it. There's a percentage that doesn't want to take it because they think it's a conspiracy theory. There's a percentage that doesn't want to take it because they think you're going to die, the concerns that they have. But I think majority is kind of like, this is my body, I get to do whatever I want to I do. I think just it. the opposite. Listen, the word is out. The word
0: is out. We've had 1.1 million verified vaccine injuries reported to our CDC, and that is a gross underreport. 86% of the time, it's a doctor, a nurse, or a coroner who reports it to the CDC. Do you know how many are not reported? Hmm. The number of people who have injured, been injured or died with the vaccine, it is so clear. Every patient I see, they say, Doctor, I'm really worried about this. Listen, this is a worry. People are worried about their health. It's not like, listen, if if they didn't want to be told what's to do with their body... We would have had doctors and nurses walk off the job over the hepatitis B vaccine. No one walks off the job for that. It's not what you said at all. It's not about personal choice. It's about fear of being injured or dying with this vaccine. It's not any vaccine. It's this vaccine.
1: Yeah, I don't know about that. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Have you been following the story with the soccer players? you know, I,
0: nobody can verify what's going on. We're having record numbers of soccer players die on the field. We're having record numbers of pilots. You know, the U.S. Airlines uh, p- a Pilot Association has had a skyrocketing of deaths in 2021 since the vaccine program. Do you know, there are multiple insurance companies that are reporting record mortality among working-age individuals, and they say it's not COVID due to their respiratory illness. We've had a German health care insurance company come out and by extrapolation, they think 3.6% of the German population is injured now due to the vaccines. This is all over you guys. It's not just a matter of free will. What do you mean you don't know about it? People take vaccines. People comply. People do things that are reasonable. They're not doing this because they know it's a health threat.
2: Well, based on the last five minutes, and I'm not saying you're right, you're wrong. We're here to ask questions. You're the expert. I think it's pretty clear why they don't want you talking. Based on your last literally few minutes of speaking, you're basically encouraging people not to get the vaccine. It's not an anti-mandate thing. It's not a don't tell me what to do with my body thing. It's you believe the vaccine causes death, period, full stop.
0: Uh, Listen, I've looked at things very carefully. There's no other explanation of why such record numbers of people are dying shortly after taking the vaccine. There are analyses that are published on the preprint server, one by McLaughlin and colleagues. This is early in the pandemic with only 1,200 deaths. They reviewed all the deaths, they read the vignettes, Mm -hmm. they coded the deaths. They said, did the vaccine cause it or was there some other cause? 86% of the time, there's no other cause. 50% of the deaths occur within two days of taking the shot. 80% occur within a week.
2: It's becoming clearer and clearer and clearer, and you say this all the time, you need, we're talking about a commission, you, you need to debate Fauci or someone on the All Fauci right. camp, and there needs to be some clear answers here. What well, is what? Listen, this is not, in my view, an issue
0: of debate. The deaths need to be explained. Sure, right? But there's so still if but, the CDC is sitting on 24,000 death reports, mm-hmm. don't you think they owe America a report? I do. Okay, aren't you worried you haven't seen a report? I am. Why don't you think you've
2: seen a report? There's something to hide.
1: Bingo. And that's why we're doing these meetings. And that's mm-hmm. why we appreciate you. By the way, who do people say you look like? Just curious if I'm not the only person. I have a feeling you've been told this before. Uh, John McEnroe. Okay, there you go. <laughs> 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 I've been looking up every angle. I'm like, that's Patrick McEnroe? No, that's John McEnroe. John that's McEnroe. Right. Yeah. I see the brothers, but you look the like McEnroe. Him. Do you play tennis or no? No,
0: I don't. I wish you I did. can't be serious, McCullough.
1: That are was you, good. Are, oh. you, are, you a, are you a sports guy or no? You, you, yeah. What do you, what do you play? What's, uh...
0: Well, you know, I'm a big runner. So I ran, I ran a marathon in every state in the United States. Uh, pretty pretty sick. And, sick, yeah. and so, uh, Seriously? so that's the reason why I have a lot of, en- that's sick. the reason why I have a lot of endurance. You know, I, I can oh, basically, wow. I can actually, Respect. I, I, that's the reason why I can beat YouTube. That's the reason why I can beat Google. <laughs> do, 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 do you know virtually every household in America knows my name? Do you know that? And that's against complete suppression of big
3: tech. Look how bad they're losing. So you ran a marathon in West Virginia? I did? You did? Aren't you concerned about immono-ultramicroscopic sylical vulcanoconiosis?
1: <laughs> I was far away from those minds. Yuck. All right, Hey, uh, Doc, really enjoyed you coming out. Thank you so much. I'm sure the audience enjoyed it. And uh, uh, folks, if you're watching this, you know, this entire time, you know, you would have thought Twitter would have taken you off, but he's on Twitter. You can go follow mm. him on Twitter and see what he has to say. We're going to put the link below. Make sure you do that on the bottom so they can follow his content uh, on Twitter. Uh, and this is probably going to end up being all over social. People going to cut it up and put it at different places on YouTube. But you can only find this thing on Spotify, Apple, or Google, uh, Google, Google, Google Podcast, Stitcher, anywhere you places. get podcasts. Yes. We'll have it up. Doc, once again, thanks for coming out. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. Thank you. For-